man, weren't those kids great? Such a deep well of knowledge there. It's a great well to tap into. Well, how are you doing this morning? Okay, just make sure you're there. It's a good start. Well, um, man, as I'm walking through uh, the traffic cones here this morning, I'm thinking, man, what section of I-4 am I on? And as we continue to wade through that, but uh, I'm excited to be here this morning and uh, look forward to just, uh, just being with you in these next few minutes. Uh, continuing the series that uh, Pastor Matt so um, greatly started us off, launched us into last week, talking about the authority in, in our lives as disciples and fellowship and what that looks like, and did a great job. One of the quotes that I, I think I left with and just kind of chewed on for the whole week is that Jesus, or I'm sorry, but a student is always wanting to know everything their rabbi knows, but a disciple wants to live like their master. And I've been chewing on that all week, and I was thinking, man, that's so true. And so what I want us to do is we, we look at this passage that we're launching from, and then we're going to go uh, a little different direction here this morning. But if you look at this passage in Matthew chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, get those out of your devices. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20 is where we're camping out during this series. And I love what he says in verse 19. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Which leads to the question, where, where did they go? What was the obvious next step, right? We're not intended ever to stay where we were when we met Jesus. Neither were they. In fact, you and I, when we, we plant seeds, and I confess, I'm not a gardener, I'm not a, not a farmer, when we plant seeds, we do so with intent, that they progress, that they move on, that's, that hopefully you water it and something happens, right? Like that's the, that's the goal. There's never an expectation. We just throw seeds out and eh, whatever happens, happens, right? And Jesus had this expectation. If I was still in the same place that I was on the day or the era that I still met my wife, if I took you back there, I said, hey, we're going on a little field trip. I'm going to show you where, this, where I met my wife. We'd all go, I'd get you out here. We'd all get on a bus. You guys ready for a little road trip? All right, we'd get on a little bus, and we'd go all the way across town, and I'd pile you off the bus and load you into this tiny basketball gym. I was a college student. I was coaching 9 through 12-year-olds in this citywide church league, and we're having a good time, and, and suddenly I noticed my practices ran about two, two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. And suddenly about a quarter way through the season, I noticed that there was someone in the stands watching our practices, and it was one of the sisters of one of my players. And I thought, huh, okay, season goes on, she's still continuing to come to practice about halfway through the season, I realized like, huh, something must be up here, because not even the parents stay for their kids' practice. <laughs> and so I knew something was up, and, and we got to know each other, and uh, we got married, and then... Uh, Next thing you know, we have kids, and, and, and kids, the same thing. They're, you never, when you meet your kid for the first time, you never expect them to stay in the same place. In fact, you, this, is, this is my oldest when he was young, and then he had a little brother, and then they progressed, and the kids, you know, they go on, and they do a thingy thing, and the next thing you know, they grow up, and they're gone, right? And it happens that fast. We always say that as parents, man, I didn't think it was going to happen that fast, but it does. This is them now. We're never expected to stay where we were. When, when Jesus called the disciples, he didn't expect them to stay there. He, he expected them to move on in life. He expected them to, to progress with the calling that he had placed upon their lives. Never was it the intent for them to stay in one place. And, and years later, you know, did it, you ask yourself, did it, 
was it a difficult time for them? Yes. Did it cost some of them their lives following this call? Yes, it did. If you ask them today, was it worth it? 100%. It's part of the progression, it's part of the, the calling. Years later, this discipleship movement continued on uh, it, as, as men and women who were faithful followers of Jesus continued to spread the gospel into the land across the places. And, and, and what would happen is people would, would just talk about who Jesus was. People say, your life is different. What's different about you? And they'd give them opportunity to say, this is, I'm following Jesus. This is what this is. And in 62 AD, a letter was written to encourage a new group of believers. Jesus had called these young men off of the beach. And years later, there's a new group of believers. And they're kind of getting, getting attacked, not physically, but they're getting attacked intellectually, spiritually, in the sense that the very deity of Christ is being uh, just, just demoralized and attacked in, in, in front of them. And they're kind of wandering a little bit and wondering. So this letter is written to encourage them. And would you know this, that, that the very measurables that are in this letter of encouragement to them are the same measurables that you and I use today to find out, are we being an obedient disciple? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I can relate to the, to the little guy on the, on the video there that like got up and went like, just knocked him over just because, right? You're like that, yeah? Okay. Paul is writing this letter. Turn to Colossians 1, verse 9 and following. And Paul's writing this because he's so excited. He is in prison. He is chained. But he's so excited about this new group of believers, but he hears the fact that they're being attacked. And so he writes this letter, and he lays out this doctrinal statements, and he says, guys, stay the course, because I'm going to paint a picture of what a disciple should look like in your day right now. And this letter still applies to us in 2020. Watch this. Look at verse 9. He says, he begins, since the day we heard, we've been praying for you. I don't know about you. You've heard of air support. This is prayer support. I tell people this all the time. I can't get up every morning and do student ministry unless I know there's people who are ahead of me praying for me, praying for our students. And I tell our students this all the time. There are people praying for you that you don't even know. That you don't know their name, you never will, but they're praying for you. We need prayer support. We need somebody in our corner who, I love to get that text, you know, especially for my wife. It's like, hey, praying for you today. Praying specifically for this. Praying for this. It's like, man, that just, I mean, like when you're thinking like, oh my gosh, is this, this things are coming unraveled? And you get that encouraging call, email, text. We need people in our corner. So Paul's saying, he's like, look, guys, we've been praying for you ever since we heard, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, knowledge just doesn't happen overnight, right? I mean, if it, if it did, if there was some magical formula, we would all have Harvard Law degrees or we'd all be... Uh, practicing rocket science in the cul-de-sac at the end of our street, right? Like, it just doesn't happen. Knowledge comes with, it's, it's a process, it comes with experience. Now, how many of you have had, have gained in knowledge with your spouse? Or your significant other? Or your family, right? Okay, guys, I'm helping you out here, okay? This is a good thing, right? Raise your hands, okay, good. Don't hesitate there. I can't tell you how the rest of your day is going to go if you hesitate. Okay. Yes, we all do. We gain, and whether it's a friend or whether it's a, a relative or another family member or a significant other, we gain knowledge in that relationship. We, we gain it through the experience of that relationship, and that's what he's saying here. He says we're supposed to grow as we gain knowledge. Knowledge takes time. It's a process of learning and growing and, and understanding who God is in, in our lives. And, and so Paul tells him the first thing. He says, 
he says, he's praying for them to increase in the knowledge of who God is and the knowledge of his will and understanding for their lives. The growth process to get to know God more and more and more each day, it helps us to respond in a more mature way. He doesn't just pray for knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Just fill your heads with a lot of information about God, you'll be okay, right? We'll just become modern day theologians. No, it's not just for that sake. It's not what it's for. This is praying that you would increase in knowledge and understanding so that, and here's our purpose statement in verse 10. This is I'm praying these things over your life so that, verse 10, so that you can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, watch this. That's one of the, the first measurables. Like, man, even today, like my walk counts, I thought I could just like step back and, and coast in. No, that's one of the measures. How are, we be, how are we doing as an obedient disciple? We're looking and examining our walk. Let's face it, we know too many Christians today who, who know the lingo, who can sit in a small group and say the right answers. They talk the talk, but that's not what we're created for. We're, we're created to what? Walk the walk. That's what God has called us to. He, he, he didn't call us to stay here. He said, you need to walk the walk. We're moving. I love, I love how the ESV like uses that and translates. Some of your versions may say life, live. But this version says walk, and I love that because it means we're moving. We're not standing still. We're progressing in our relationship with God and our knowledge of who God is in our life, and therefore in the, in the same way, in a, manner that, uh, in a manner worthy of the Lord. Not just, it's not just about our brain, but about our behavior, putting feet to our faith. It's not what we, what we know, it's what we show. That's why I, mean, I can say this a hundred different ways, right? Like James 2.18 says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. I'll show you my faith by how I live my life. I'll show you what I believe based on what you see in my life each and every day. That's what Paul is trying to get across here. So I say, this is how you're an obedient disciple. It says, we walk in a manner that is pleasing to him, fully pleasing, not just, not just sometimes, fully pleasing, not just when it's convenient, not when it's my coworkers aren't, aren't watching, not when like my neighbors aren't staring at me. No, it's, it, it's, it's fully pleasing. It's all the time. Everything that we say and do, bringing glory to God. Some of you say, well, that sounds like a full-time job. No, it's a lifestyle. It's a heart change. It's all the time. You know, we, we go through this and, and, you know, if I were to say, how many of you, um, how many of you want to live a life that is, that is pleasing to God? If I asked you that this morning, you'd probably raise your hand. Yeah, Rob, I want to live a life that's pleasing, fully pleasing to God. I know I do, right? But here's the thing, and I'll just be transparent. I have no problem with that. Look, I... I get it wrong so many times, and I hope that, that you would say the same thing. Maybe not about my life this morning, but you would say, but we all do, right? Man, that, I see out there, right? Pastor Rob, he sure, he sure gets it wrong a lot, <laughs> a lot, right? So, but I get it, we all do, but I know this. You know, you say, Rob, I'm just, man, I'm, I'm striving I'm doing the best I can, I'll be on track, and all of a sudden I start caring about what other people say. Man, I mean, I'm doing good and I'm, I'm living, I'm fully pleasing him, and then all of a sudden I get, I get distracted by something else. I fall to this temptation. I think, you know what? God knows that. He knows that. Be encouraged with that. But here's what I also know. I know that if, if later this, today that you and I sat across from each other face to face over coffee, I, I, I know that at the end of that conversation I would know this about you, that deep down inside you desperately want to get it right. 
I know that. God knows that. It's part of the process, that gaining knowledge and understanding of who God is. Well, here's the thing, Paul doesn't just leave it there at, at our walk. He, he, he sets the bar and he reminds us of where the bar is set for these, for these young believers. He says, it's all about, also about producing fruit. And he starts to get a little personal here, I think. He says this in verse 10, it says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's the knowledge again, right? Knowledge should show the things we understand in our mind, that, but it should change our heart, therefore changing our action. Every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This doesn't just mean that we go out and do a bunch of good things, right? John 15, 4, as we saw in our Awaken series, abide in me. Abide means to what? Get close. Get close. Stay close. Remain in me. He says this. He says, abide in me. And I and you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in who? Abide in me, abide in Jesus, remain in me. We're not, to meant, we're not meant to go out and just like, oh, today I'm gonna go like, like exercise love and love happens, right? Or I'm gonna go over here, I'm gonna patient, man, love and joy, joy, right? It just doesn't happen. Now these, this fruit that we're producing, the fruits of the spirit, they're not like superpowers. I wish they were. I mean, like, just think if patience was a superpower, parents would be like, have capes on, right? Like, we'd be like, yeah, let's go. But it's not. And we're not just to go out there and do those things because we're expecting a response. There's a difference. A disciple's life is meant to begin with Jesus, stay with Jesus, never graduating to something else, but always be with Jesus and lead back to Jesus. We enter into this relationship with him, we live for him, in and through him. He's the very point. All the fruit is meant to stay attached to Jesus. We're not just checking boxes because that's what we're supposed to do. Because if that's what we're doing, now hear what I'm saying here. If that's what we're doing, we're doing that in response so that we get a response. Whereas what, what Paul's saying here is like, hey, if you're abiding in Jesus, the fruit that you bear is a heart posture, a mind posture, and that therefore produces that fruit. There's a difference. Doing this so that you get a response over here versus abiding in Jesus, therefore bearing fruit and producing that measurable fruit. It's a big difference. It says, remain in me. John 55 says, whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And later in verse eight, he says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so proved to be what? My disciples. It's like, come on, man. So somebody's gonna measure the fruit. That's how I'm gonna be measured as, as, as a following disciple. Okay. You see, you and I, are, are Christians, aren't meant to go out and, uh, and go through this life-producing counterfeit fruit, necessarily. Um, you know, I, I think of this, this fruit bowl over here on Wednesday afternoons this, this uh, past semester. We've been able to go over to uh, Lyman High School and feed their freshman football team before their game on, on Wednesday nights, Wednesday afternoons. And so I get out there, I get to speak to the team, just to, some leadership principles and that kind of a thing, some team, team binding principles, and, and then they eat, and then they line up, get ready to, to leave the cafeteria and head to their game. And, and uh, one of the things they love, and I stand over there with a bag of these cuties from, from Publix. Anybody love those things? Okay, yeah. And so... I stand over there next to the door as they leave, and I'm like, hey, good luck tonight. And I stand there with a bag of these things. 
and they just take a handful to go back to the locker room or to eat on the bus on the way over the game, because they're good for you. This is good fruit. Now, one of these in my hand is good fruit. The other one is counterfeit fruit. You and I, as Christians, are not meant to go through our life just, just producing counterfeit fruit, right? We're, that's, not, that's not who we are. That's not who God designed us to be. Now, if I were to eat this fruit this, today, right, one of these would be a good investment for my tomorrow. The other one, if I ate it, would be an investment in my emergency room uh, expenses later, right? One is going to be good for me. The other one is going to cause great problems later. And that's what I'm talking about. We don't, do, we don't produce fruit for the sake of getting a response from someone later. The fruit that Jesus is asking us to produce that Paul is talking about is real, genuine fruit. And you say, okay, Rob, I want to abide. What do, what do I need to do? I want to abide in Jesus. I want, I want, to, I want to start that relationship. I want, to, I want to start over today. Two things, two words. Trust in his works, trust in his words. By trusting in his works, this is what we're talking about. Trust in his works. I trust him always and forever. Never has it been anything about what I can do and the works that I can do for my salvation. No, it's, been, it's always been about what Jesus has done, what he did on the cross, what he did through the resurrection, what he does in our life each and every day. It's not about what Rob does. It's by grace we've been saved through faith, not of works so that Rob can't take the glory, but God gets the glory. We trust in what Jesus has done. We trust in his works. That Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I can't live. He died a death that you and I deserved. He came back and defeated a death that you and I may live eternally forever with him. We trust in the works of Jesus. Second, we trust in the words of Jesus. We abide in those words of Jesus. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. In another place it says, if you want to be my friend, like, do what I say. So those words are important. This, this isn't just something that we, that we carry around we pick up on Sunday and bring to church. These words are important. These words are what we live by each and every day. And, and whether you're, this is the first time you're hearing this or, or you're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Got to get back to this. I, I feel like one of the, one of the issues that our, that our culture and our climate is facing and our, our, our communities are facing right now, it's not red or blue states. It's honestly not. And the, and the job of the church, and no one's asked me to come out here and say this, I just feel prompted to say this this morning. The job of the church in an election year is, is, is not to tell people who to vote for, it's to tell people to use their voice, keep their opinions to themselves, check it through the Word of God. The job of the church is to, to after the election, to say like, hey, let's make sure that we all are aligned to the Word of God. Because there's going to come a day where there's not going to be red states, blue states, there's going to come a day where, where there's going to be one king. The skies are going to split open, and we're going to go spend eternity with Jesus, for he is king. There's one king. We worship that one king together. Amen? It's not about anything else. And we can, we can fool ourselves to thinking like, well, and, and in five years, this is going to change. And it, change is great. Change is bad. And in between. But what we need to do as Christians, as Christ followers, as obedient disciples, we need to step in and say, cut it out. Christians, cut it out. If what you're about is not aligning with the Word of God, then you need to check yourself. Man, I've, in the past six months, I've sat across from adults where I'm like, call themselves Christ followers. I'm like, man, cut it out. <laughs> Stop. Think. If what we're doing is not aligned with the Word of God, 
and we just step back and realign ourselves. Sorry, I, I've gone to meddling now. Sorry, we, let's get back to our passage. Uh, that wasn't, that was just, the Holy Spirit said, you need to say that this morning. That's what I said. It. There you go. So I abide and thanks. So how do I abide? Two words, by his works, by his words, abiding in Christ, listening to him, obeying to him. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson said, they said, spiritual growth depends on two things. First, a willingness to live according to the word of God. Second, a willingness to take whatever consequences emerge as a result. Ouch. I mean, as I was reading that, I was like, wow, that's, I, I got to step back and like, oh yeah, I, I do. If I'm going to, if I'm going to say that I'm going to follow this, then I got to, I got to take the consequences too. And the consequences are going to cost me things. They're going to cost me relationships. They're going to cost me who knows what. But I got to make up my mind. Am I really about this? Am I really a Christ follower? Am I really a disciple of Jesus? Or am I just somebody who picks this up on the weekends, flips through it? I, I know the lingo. I know the wall. I know the talk. God's called us to walk the walk. We need to increase in the knowledge of God to glorify him more and more. And in doing so, we will bear Real fruit, not the fake stuff. Abiding in, in him makes us much stronger. You know what? I love what he says. He says in verse 11, Paul says, be strengthened. Because you know what? Abiding in him makes us stronger. Be strengthened. He doesn't say, be strong. It's not like the power team showing up at your front door and like kicking your door in, right? This isn't that. He's saying, be strengthened as you go, as you gain that knowledge, as you gain that experience. Be strengthened by that. Be strengthened by each other. It's not put your game face on, like, let's go, let's get it done. Sometimes we like to approach it that way, and that's, that's not always good. But Paul says, be strengthened. He's like, guys, stay together. Be strengthened. One of the ways that we're strengthened is when someone is pouring into us. For, you know, as, as, as we're supposed to be disciples, it's not about us just, just producing fruit in our lives. It's also about us helping others produce fruit in their lives. As Jesus was to those young disciples on the beach, as Paul was to those young believers who were struggling, who were being attacked, we too are called to pull people, to invite people in a, in a discipleship relationship, in a discipleship lifestyle. For me, that was guys like Dan Reagan, guys like Steve Hayes, guys like James Kirkwood, who in the most formidable years of my life, high school, college, were intentional with me, they poured into me. Some of them chased me down in places that youth pastors should never have to go. They would always circle back around and check them and they would sit down and we'd walk through, we'd walk through scripture together so to make sure I understood what, what we were talking about. J James was always funny, the crowd would leave, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And after the big crowd had left, James would always circle back around. How are you really doing? And next thing you know, I'd end up in a fishing boat on a lake here in Orlando and Still don't believe there's any fish in that lake to this day. But we spent hours out there, him intentionally pouring into me. And that's what that discipleship relationship's all about. I want you to hear from a couple friends of mine, Chris and Alex, who are going to talk in this video about like what discipleship means to them, what, it, what their picture of discipleship looks like. Check it out. My name is Chris Storms, and I am a member of Northland, been here since 1994. My wife and I met here in 1995. We were part of the college ministry that met in the building out back that we called Bob, and, uh, and we've been here ever since. 
I am Alex Anderson. I'm married to Chris Anderson. We have four kids. Um, the oldest is 10 and they trickle down to three. Chris and I actually met at Northland and a program called Senior Life Prep. One of the things that was really important um, in my journey was my parents and especially my mom, her relationship with Jesus through, um, through my time of maybe being unsure and not really following. She always continued to steadily pursue him herself. And I think that model of just like me getting to see her live it out was so important to me sticking through um, through my ups and downs as a teenager, as a young adult, and then really finding my own faith as I grew up. So these are, um, these are my Heelys. And uh, the reason that I brought these today is because I really think, you know, one of the things, the more I do youth ministry, um, you know, where Jesus talks about having faith like a child and Jesus, there's verses where Jesus is with the children, he loves the children. I think in our culture, um, you know, it's really easy to grow up. And when we grow up, we get kind of stuffy and we get kind of um, formulaic in the way that we, we deal with things. And I bought these, I, I, you know, my time that I spend with high school kids, I, uh, I dress up in costumes, I do silly stuff, you know, and these are one of the things I bought one summer. And um, everybody was shocked that a 47-year-old man is healing into, into the dining hall, you know? Um, and I love that. I, I think that we should be shocking the world by how alive we are and how joyful we are. And the cool thing about students is that discipling a student is like taking them out for coffee and going for a walk for them with them or taking them to Target or going to CeCe's Pizza and having dinner with them and getting all you can eat pizza. I mean, you, it's fun, honestly, discipling someone who is in high school and college. It's a blast, we love it. Um, one of the Young Life's like mottos is going where kids are. Um, earning the right to be heard. And so I think that's, that's key in going to where kids are, finding out what their lives are like, building relationships with them and earning the right to talk to them about Jesus and who he is and, and the, you know, his desire to be in a relationship with them, to give them life. I brought this bowl along with me and this was my family's prayer bowl. Um, growing up, we would put our prayers in as marbles and when God answered our prayer, we would put a rock in. And so we could see um, just him, a very visual, um, a very visual thing to see God working in our life. And now my kids get to be a part of this prayer bowl. It's still around and it's still something that we, you know, put our prayers in and um, we still get to see God work. And God works in such mysterious ways. But if we continue to be dedicated to just praying for one another and caring and loving one another, the results are here and you get to see them. Man, that's great, isn't it? I, I love that. Discipleship has many looks to it, does it not? I mean, I told Chris I promised I wouldn't like try these out on the stage. These Heelys get me hurt. As a parent, discipleship looks different sometimes. Something as simple as that prayer bowl. Something as simple as just taking your kid out for ice cream, taking a student, taking a neighbor, taking another Christian out, sitting across from them and listening to their story, pouring into them intentionally. 
I, I love what these guys both said, that it's, it's not about them, it's about going and being where people are. You know, I, as I read the New Testament, one of the things that intrigues me is the, the part where Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples are left there with so many questions, right? They're, they're thinking like, okay, you're, you're gone. Now we don't, have, we don't have that physical being right here to tell us which way to go, what we should do. Now think about what, the, what they must have been feeling. Think about what they must have been, the thoughts that are going through their head. M- many of you know that last year, right around this time last year, right before, I lost both my parents within 27 days of each other. It was, it was uh, quite a, a, a gut check uh, for me. And I remember, I remember that night, uh, early morning, we got a call about dad, gone into to congestive heart failure. And so we, we jump in the car, Audra and I jump in the car and take off down I-4 and, and the thoughts, the what if thoughts start flooding your mind, like what if, what if, what if. And we get there and the scene's not good at all. And, and, and the reality is becoming that he's not gonna make it here in these next few hours. And, so that begins to set in as well. And I remember, there's a lot I don't remember about that day, but I remember that later on in the day, we got the right family, he got his sisters in there, they could say goodbye. And he couldn't understand what we were saying. He couldn't hear us, we don't know. But the finality that started to hit for me was that there wasn't gonna be one more conversation. That there wasn't gonna be another question and answer time. And uh, got down into the final moments and I had my head on the side of his bed and my hand up on his chest, taking those final breaths. As that final breath went out, the finality of that, those words of wisdom will never come out of his mouth again, really began to hit. Yes, I was grieving, I just lost my father, I lost my loved one, I lost my best friend, I lost my prayer partner, all in that moment. But in days and months to come, the finality of His words of wisdom will not be spoken again. I mean, a couple even weeks after, months after, just even a couple months ago, I was working on a project and I got to a point where there was a fork in the road. And I was like, well, I know, I know what to do. I'll call. He's not there. He's not going to answer this time. Dad was a, a woodworker. He loved, that was his passion. And he, he worked built projects all over the place and so he had all these sayings that he used to use if you are a woodworker you know them too measure twice cut once dad used to say that about a lot of things you know even to this day I can still still hear those words of him saying hey Rob may want to measure that twice yeah you're right dad that's, that's a good idea I, probably should measure twice before I send that post. Hey, Rob, before you run out of the door, did you, did you pray about it? Like, am I the pastor or are you the pastor? Like, what's happening here? Hey, Rob, you may want to measure that twice because you need to kind of rethink that. Do you really need to go to that conference this weekend or do you need to stay home with your family? Thanks, Dad. I still have his words. I'd love for there to be one more conversation. Because I've got lots of questions. 
I wonder if the disciples felt the same way, that filled with questions they didn't even know they were supposed to ask. Jesus saw this in the fact that he sent his helper. He sent the Holy Spirit. And as followers of Jesus, you and I have the Holy Spirit in us. It's a power like none other. And we can rely on that. We can call upon the power of the Holy Spirit to help us walk this out, to help us move from point A to point B, step by step by step. In Galatians, it says, walk by the Spirit. We have his word. We have his spirit. We've got each other. Let's follow Jesus together. Would you pray with me? Father, we come humbly before you this morning. God, we would love to have another physical conversation with you. God, thank you for providing us with clear-cut instruction of what we are to do as faithful and obedient disciples. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending us that helper who can lead us. God, make us sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in these days. Father, help us to look around to see who we need to be pouring ourselves into, pouring our lives into, making disciples. Help us to get up out of that, I'll do that when mode. God, you know us, you know our hearts. We deep, deep down, we want to get it right. Help us to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.